Glad you're here with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas to me so you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. And you can follow me at Facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Coming up in a few minutes in today's Clark Rageous Moment, I want to have a chat with you about someone who got arrested and what their arrest has to do with your and my life and our future. And coming up yet later, producer Joel has come up with a new way to make money that is an old way that people used to make money nearly 20 years ago. I'm going to tell you how he's making money and how you might too. So everybody's looking for their strategy to bring convenience into your life. Recently, I told you about the new Target free home delivery program. And with the Target home delivery program, if you didn't hear me describe this, you sign up for a red card, which is Target's discount program. It gets you a 5% discount on things in the store. And by having the red card account, it qualifies you for free delivery on thousands of items in a Target store that tend to show up at your home in one to two days. CVS, the giant drugstore chain, is hurting some. People aren't going in like they used to. And so CVS figures, well, we better do home delivery too. So CVS has a new home delivery service that is $5 per delivery. And I'm not aware of CVS offering a freebie if you're a member of their rewards program. That may come, but you can have a bunch of different things from inside the store delivered, if you wish, for $5 delivery. You know, the irony of it, I was thinking about that when I was a kid, drugstores routinely delivered. That was just what they did. You'd call up and you'd say what you wanted and nobody had credit cards and there was no such thing as credit cards. I really am aging myself, aren't I? And they would show up with the items delivered to your house and they would do it usually within a couple of hours and that was it. And it's funny that what was old is new again with the twist that it's not your neighborhood independent drugstore. It's the biggest drugstore chain we have, CVS, and you're paying $5 for delivery that takes a day or two. I think that this is um, $5 late. No, too many days late and $5 short, I guess, would be the right way to say it. And I wish CVS luck with it, but... I don't think that's going to make it work. Now, if Dollar Tree wanted to charge $5 for delivery, what a conflict that would be in people. You have a store that sells everything for a dollar. Everything they sell is such a deal. And then to pay $5 to have it delivered, it's kind of like the confusion I have about Aldi, the ultra-inexpensive supermarket, they have in much of the country, they have delivery with Instacart, I think it is. 
and you're having to pay for the delivery charge to have stuff come to you where the people who shop at Aldi are so cheap that I can't imagine how many people are actually willing to pay for the delivery. But what I'm maybe missing in this story, CVS is an ultra expensive place to shop and a CVS shopper is a convenient shopper. So maybe a CVS shopper would look at the $5 delivery charge as just, well, a rounding error. Darren is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Darren. Hi, Clark. So, Darren, how much of your life now do you do uh, order online and have delivery versus going to physical stores? Actually, a lot more than I used to over the last couple of years. Much more convenient. So, are you finding that your first instinct when you want something is instead of stopping somewhere is you just go to your phone or your laptop? I certainly do at least start there. Yeah, isn't that interesting that that it seems like we've crossed a threshold where people do that? And I'm curious, do you tend, when you go to shop online, is there one place you go to first, like Amazon or something? Or do you have like no one pattern of where you go to look for stuff? Yeah, I go with the search engine, but usually Amazon pops up. But uh, obviously with uh, listening to you, you mentioned that Amazon's not always the cheapest. So I do a little cross-referencing before I make the purchase. Well, I appreciate your perspective on this, and I know at our house, I'm seeing more and more packages show up at the house, and they're not just showing up out of thin air. It means that people in my household are going online and ordering stuff. So, Darren, how can I be of service to you today? Well, I've got kind of an interesting off-the-wall question regarding credit score. I know everybody talks about uh, trying to you know, achieve a good credit score, and I know uh, you mentioned it quite often on your show. And the one thing I have heard over the past is that the credit score does play a part as far as the insurance premiums you pay. But that aside, if we uh, get to the position um, soon that I'm shooting for to be completely uh, debt-free, what is the advantage of a high credit score once you get to that point? That is a wonderful question, and it is one that, I'm asked by people who maybe are at a point in their lives that they don't buy a lot of stuff, they don't owe anybody any money, they own their home free and clear, all those things. So the role of credit scores is in a number of different areas, and you mentioned one of the most important, and it's what you pay or if you can even get from certain insurers, homeowners or auto insurance. And the insurance industry is the biggest roadblock I can think of outside of an application for a traditional credit where a, a credit score, credit standing really matters. But I'll give you two others. Okay. Another is when people are seeking employment, as any of a number of employers want to see credit reports as part of evaluating a potential candidate for a job. And then the other is when you're buying services that do a credit check before they'll do business with you. The most common examples are technology companies uh, for television, internet, cell phone, that there will be a credit check done. And if you vanish from basically the credit reporting system with a thin or no file, 
then you're going to have problems with all those industries. Is there a way to... Uh, you know, just in case, and just just more just hypothetical. But if that would be the case, is there a way of circumventing that? Basically, you know, showing uh, showing proof of assets or anything along those lines that would uh, you know be a second uh, alternate choice. You would think that would be okay in the world, but unfortunately, companies ha- have gotten bigger and use routinized systems without using individual common sense and judgment. So. The way I've handled that, because, you know, I've not had mortgage debt in forever. I've, I don't think I've ever taken out a car loan. Uh, you know, I haven't, over the years, I haven't taken out normal kinds of debt. So for me, the way I keep an established positive credit score is by using a credit card. So even if you have no debt, if you'll use a credit card as a payment system, it will preserve your credit score and credit standing moving forward. Now, I can't get to the very top scores, you know, an 850 is the best you could ever do because I don't yeah, have the mortgage. Right. I don't have the depth of different kinds of credit. But I just pulled up my credit karma and I'm 827, and I'm the same with both 827 with TransUnion, 827 with Equifax. So I'm probably somewhere in that general territory with an actual FICO score. So the fact that I don't have a mortgage, don't have car loans, whatever, has still I'm still able to get to where I have an outstanding score. Yeah, the question is just kind of more hypothetical. Just trying to see because uh, you know everybody's talking about you know trying to achieve the high score. I just want to make sure that I guess for the others that were inquisitive like me, I actually kind of knew uh, you know all the things that encompass it. So. All right, so number one is paying your bills on time every month, and that is 35% of a credit score. Number two is using very little of the credit you've been granted. So that accounts for almost a third of your score. What that means is, let's say a credit card company issues you a $10,000 limit. You never want to use more than 3000 of that credit, 30%. If you do those two things, you're most of the way you need to be to having a good credit score. Yeah. So, so therefore, you, not having a mortgage really wouldn't hurt you much at all at that point. So exactly. Good. Exactly. So as long as you um, keep a credit card or two, use them occasionally, you will keep and maintain a great credit score, which in who knows what other ways that's going to become an issue in the future. Isaac is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Isaac. Hello. How you doing, Isaac? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? Great, thank you. So you were the first person to ask me a question along the lines of what you're going to ask, and I'm so excited. So I've been using um, Eckhorn for a while for their micro-investing, um, and then they launched retirement not too long ago, and I started one of those. But now they have a bank that they are launching, and... I'm not a fan of like a lot of bundles in general, um, but I don't, so I don't really know what to think about it since a lot of it has a bit asked us, asked certain people to sign up and I don't know if I should go ahead and set up now or wait until they launch in November. Well, they're, I think they're rationing signups till they make sure they have the customer service right. But when someone is comfortable with doing financial things on an app, I'd love for you to go the next step and do 
banking on an app or do your business with the strictly online bank. Because the thing about an online bank, and Acorns is not alone in this, there are so many online banks, and so many of the online banks you can do pretty much everything with an app, is by them eliminating the entire branch banking network, their overhead is so much lower that they can offer you much better deals on every phase of your banking. Where a, a bank that has a lot of branches, even if they have a nice app, they still have all that massive bank overhead that you're having to pay for. So going from a traditional bank and doing Acorns as your bank, particularly because you already have experience with them and you've been happy with how they've done things, Otherwise, you wouldn't be asking me this, right? Correct. I started using it in college because they like offered me free investing when I was still in the four-year university. That was the whole reason I signed up with them a few years ago. But they've done but, a good um, job for you, and you're getting job. more into it. You got the retirement account. So, yeah, if you want to do more with them, I think it's great to do it. And this is a major kind of threat to the traditional lumbering slow, bureaucratic banking business, the people that move quicker and really cut through the clutter and give you what you're looking for without all the gotchas. And so I hope that Acorns grows into this well, serves people well, and I hope that other financial-oriented apps will also launch banks as a way of taking market share from the banks that get up every day looking for ways to take more money from your pocket in fees and gotchas, there's a better way and alternative providers are what are going to lead us that way, just like credit unions are such a great alternative to traditional banks. Today's Clark Rageous moment is actually a weird Clark Rageous moment because it's about the CEO of Audi being arrested. Why? Because they were cheating on emissions. And so finally, a business person who commits a crime is going to be punished for it. This has happened before with some people at Volkswagen, but there's an unusual angle on this for you and me as consumers. The European car makers had very heavily relied on diesel as a way to provide more fuel-efficient vehicles for their customers in Europe and overseas. And they couldn't meet the emission standards. So they were cheating. They were putting software on cars that when they were tested by government authorities, the cars would appear to be burning clean. And people were wondering in Europe, why were the trees dying all over the place and turning these weird colors? Well, now we know why. But the European companies are now very heavily turning to electric vehicles. And this is going to change the car market here in the United States and around the world. You're going to see enormous choice and new competition for electric vehicles. The beauty of it for you is the cost of making electric vehicles is getting cheaper and cheaper 
uh, like every 90 days, it's a lot cheaper to make an electric vehicle than it was 90 days before. And then to buy one, the prices are coming way down because of that. But to own one is the big thing because the cost of what you pay instead of buying gasoline using electricity, it costs you effectively one-fifth as much to go a mile in an electric car than a gas engine. But even neater, more neat, they require virtually no maintenance ever. So the cost of ownership, in addition to the cost of fueling, is so much cheaper. So out of something really clark something good is going to result for your wallet. It's my pleasure to have you with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. A generation ago, there was a very popular thing you could do throughout the country, and that was get paid to turn your car into a rolling advertisement. We had several staffers on our team that signed up with services, and they were getting meaningful money, a couple of hundred bucks a month, having that film put on their vehicles, and they'd ride around and get paid based on how much time they were in their vehicle and what routes they were driving for advertising for some business. And then when the dot-com bubble burst in 2000, every single one of the what were known as the car wrapping companies went bust. And then for years, anytime somebody would call me about it, I'd say, well, anybody who's telling you they're going to do it, they're probably ripping you off. It's probably a scam. But now what's old is now new again. The money is not as good as it was before, but there's the starting up again of companies that will pay you based on your route, how many miles you drive, what the condition of your car is and all that, to have your vehicle wrapped. And so you, in return for being a rolling billboard for some product or service or company, it defrays some of the cost of your operating a vehicle. Now, a challenge I put out when a company started up called Rapify is I asked on my crew who was willing to be a guinea pig and try it, and producer Joel was willing to do it. And Joel, you are now doing Rapify. How long have you been doing it? I've been doing Rapify for almost a month now. So brand new. And how do you um, how do you know how much money you're making since it is variable? based on how much you're driving and where you're driving. Yeah, so you can tell how much you're making every each day based on how much you drive, each week and each month. They kind of keep that for you on the app. You know exactly how much you're making over time. I, I think it works out to a, somewhere between 15 and 20 cents a mile. I need to do the math. Um, but it you know it's worked out pretty well for me so far, although... I'm not the ideal person because uh, I don't live terribly far from where I work. Uh, and I, and you ride a bike to work a lot and of I days. Ride a, That's not helping you. I know. I leave the car literally just sitting there at home so much of the time. So uh, I'm not racking up any miles and I'm not racking up any money by leaving it sitting there. So I, I wanted to test it out because I thought it would be fun and interesting. Um, but I'm definitely not the ideal person. But I think for a lot of people with a longer commute you know, in a major city who qualify to drive for Rapify, you could make 
probably 250 to $350 a month just by driving your car, which is really cool. And anything about it that was like a gotcha that, oh, this is not as easy as I thought it would be? or Not a gotcha. Explain the whole process, how you... Yeah, not a gotcha. The the first thing you do is you download the app and then it tracks your driving. And so it knows kind of your patterns and it tells you whether you qualify for a campaign or not. It's not a gotcha, but the thing that was most annoying for me was to actually go get the wrap put on. And so I had to drive to a place that wasn't super close to my home. It was a good 20 minute drive and drop my car off and then take a lift into work that day. And so it's just one of those things where it's kind of a pain. Uh, But if you are and the campaigns usually only last about two months, at least from what I've seen so far. So you're getting this rat put on your car and you're driving around for two months uh, and and then you got to go back to get the wrap taken off. And so, you know, then you got to wait for the next campaign that they want to want to have you part of. Exactly. So, you know, depending on how much you drive and how much money you'll make per month, like for me, I don't know that I'll do it again based on my driving patterns. But I think for a lot of people, you know, wanting to make an extra three, four hundred dollars a month, it makes a lot of sense. I'll tell you what, I'll sign up. And see what my experience is like. That'd be awesome. And what are the requirements in terms of the condition of your car, the age of your car, that kind of stuff? You know, they don't really state, but they do make you take pictures of your car, uh, all four sides. And so I guess they determine based on a car by car basis. But um, yeah, they don't really kind of outline exactly what you need to need to have vehicle wise. I don't know if they'll accept, you know, your 2002 model vehicles or not. You know, mine's a, a newer Nissan Leaf. And so I had no problem getting accepted. Have you written anything that's uh, more in-depth about this? Or Yeah, so we've got a video and an article on Clark.com that people can check out if they want to see what my car looks like wrapped. My kids love it. They're like, it's for this company, and they've got these these uh, these little stuffed animal-looking things on the back of the car, and so my kids absolutely love it. They think it's the coolest. That's funny. Your kids, though, they're a little older. They might not think it was cool. Got it. Chris is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Chris. Hey, Clark. How are you doing? Wonderful, Chris. How can I serve you? I, My wife and I have recently had our first child, and I am looking into uh, 529 options. And I've been reading that you can now use 529 for K-12 expenses. And I was wondering, do you know if it's okay to use it for um, kindergarten expenses? Or not kindergarten, sorry, daycare. Um, because I'm wondering if we you know, front load it if we could essentially use the 529 as a high yield savings account and then take that money out for um, the daycare. You cannot, unfortunately. Okay. So you can use it for actual tuition. If somebody's in an academic program, kindergarten, all the way through 12th grade, you can use up to 10 grand a year and 529 plan money towards tuition. But you can't use it for anything at all that would be in the realm of daycare. It's got to be a full academic program in order to do it. Okay. Not what you were hoping to hear, was it? No, but at least I know. At least I have an answer now, so thank you. Sure. And I'll tell you, the angle on using money even for K-12 through I want to explain on that, you know, college costs are pretty expensive and it's tempting if you've been putting money into a 529 plan from when a kid is really young, when a kid's a newborn and you've built up some resources and you are choosing to send a child to private school 
it really is tempting to say, hey, wow, I can draw on this. It'll be tax-free. But the real advantage of a 529 plan is having the money grow for typically somewhere about 15 or so years and grow tax-free and then all be spent tax-free. So in order to make what Chris is thinking work, you'd have to put a lot of money in and your kid would likely need to be, well, would have to be in private school at some point, either in elementary, middle, or high school. And so you'd budget for that. Hey, I'm going to, I know my kid's almost certainly going to private school. I'm going to fund that as well when they're a newborn in the 529 plan. And I'm going to put money in the 529 plan for college. That would work. And we're speaking now with, I'm sorry, I don't know your name. You're anonymous. Hi, what's your name? Hello? This is Brian. Brian? Good to have yes. you here, Brian. How can I serve you? Well, first of all, Clark, I, I want to tell you I'm a big fan, and I um, talk to my family about your show so much that my preteen son, whenever he hears me talking about you, says, oh, no, not Clark Howard again. <laughs> oh, boy. But, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's an honor to talk to you. Well, thank you. I, have, I feel really bad for you exhibiting child abuse towards your teen, making a teen listen to me or hear anything yeah, about me. To, That's really cruel he's of you. actually a preteen, uh, but I'd love to have you talk to him sometime. I, I'd love it if you did a, a child um, uh, a segment um, focused on um, child money management one day. You know, it's funny you say that. Um, I used to write books. I wrote 10 over the years. And one of them I wrote was specifically geared towards kids from elementary school through college. And it did not sell well. You know, kids just really were not that into, you know, having information about money. There's always kids that are, but overwhelmingly kids were like this is really boring stuff so yeah, it has a lot to do with the way you talk to kids but i think i could picture them uh um taking biting to the way you talk to uh, talk on the show well you're kind to say that and there there are um school-age kids and high schoolers that really do grab on to what i talk about and it's great because it's the kind of stuff if you learn it you learn in my school instead of learning in the school of hard knocks, but people have to be ready to receive the information at whatever point they're willing to. Yeah. Well, the more different ways that we can pitch it to them, the better. Well, you have something that you're going to bring to the table here that infuriates me. And it, yes. it, it involves the printer industry. Hit me with it. I have an inkjet all-in-one printer that I bought last year. And um, a few months back, I bought one of those, um, some of those re-inked, uh, remanufactured um, ink cartridges. And um, they are actually a uh, brand name, the same brand as the printer, um, the only difference is that they've been sent to a company and refilled with ink. And um, so I ordered and I used um, the re-inked cartridges for about three months 
And um, one day, the uh, printer it displayed a message saying that a firmware update was available. So I said, um, I told it, go ahead and install. And right after I installed it, it tells me that the ink cartridges are not recognized. So I, um, I assume correctly that the printer manufacturer doesn't want me using remanufactured cartridges. Yeah. This started, this started with Hewlett Packard and Hewlett Packard loses money as best I know on every printer they sell. They sell them so dirt cheap. And then they make their money on the printer ink. One estimate I saw is they sell the printer ink at $7,000 a gallon. That's that's the equivalent of what they're charging for the ink in a printer. And then other manufacturers are like, hey, this is really helping Hewlett-Packard. People aren't buying third-party cartridges anymore because they put in this software that recognizes it's a third-party cartridge or a refilled cartridge, and so others have done it too. And it just absolutely incenses me because the fact that they want to take a loss on a printer and rip you off on the ink is their choice. But there is a workaround, and if you look on the web, you may find it, that works often, is if you put in, if you go buy, uh, what brand of printer do you have that shut down? Epson. All right, so you have an Epson So if you buy a new Epson cartridge and put it in, the printer will start working again. And what I've heard is you can then pull out the the new uh, original Epson one, put in your old one, and it'll keep working. Yeah, I did try that, and it um, does not work. It still doesn't work. So they basically turned your printer into a worthless brick it's a doorstop now yeah so it it won't even work with uh, a new epson cartridge it's just dead dead oh no it it does work with i i went out and bought new epson cartridges and it does work but once i swap back in the old one the um remanufactured it does it gives the same error message so the remanufacturer you bought from do they have any guarantee that there's a work or are you just stuck with those also well, I think I'm going to be able to return them. Um, actually, um, I bought them from Amazon, and I contacted Amazon, and they've been gracious enough to let me return them. But I'm still mad that forever I'm going to have to buy um, Epson brand cartridges. So here's the great irony about it. Epson is also the same company that has come out with the Echo Tank line of printers and multifunction machines that the ink is basically free but they charge a real price for the printer. They charge usually 200 to $300, depending on which version of the printer you buy in the EcoTank series or EcoTank, whichever it is. And then the ink is nothing. Yeah, I wonder if it actually is costing them that much more to make the printer that way or if they're just charging you more because they're not going to be making money on the ink. I have so, no I mean, idea. I'm just wondering if this is legal for them to do. Unfortunately, to unfortunately, quote, because update. yeah, unfortunately, because of a Supreme Court ruling, it is legal for the printer manufacturers to pull this stunt, and it's just unsavory and rotten. But apparently, they are protected on doing this, and it means that when you go to look at a printer, you want to look for one where you pay a real price for a printer. 
but not get ripped off on the ink. And on the Epson thing, I've had an Eco or Echo tank, whatever it's called, for ever since they first came out, and it works perfectly, and I've never had to buy ink. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Chris is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Chris. Hey, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Chris. How can I serve you? Well, listen, I had a question, something I hadn't really um, heard from you before, um, not this aspect of it anyway. Um, Online savings account for banks. I currently have one. Um, However, I was looking to maybe get into something with my girlfriend that we could each contribute to so we can save for going out on dates, that we can both contribute to the funds for that, maybe save for a trip in the future, Um, just something we can each put our own separate funds into. We have two separate lives. We each have our own kids, just something we can use together. So uh, the online banks generally don't permit joint accounts, as I recall. Okay. Um, But that wouldn't be true for all of them. That would require a little more work for you, but it wouldn't be terrible work. What I would do is I would go to a list like the bank rate list of best savings rates and start with the highest rate being offered in the market and contact that bank. Just call them and say, hey, am I allowed to do a joint account? And if they say no, go to the next highest. And producer Kim has something to say about this as well. Hi, Kim. Hey, so I actually do have a joint online savings account with my partner, Sean, and it's with uh, Capital One 360. So look at that one and see what they're paying right now. And also, oh, Ally allows joint accounts. Capital One is paying 1.60, I just found. Okay. So that's not bad. It's not the top, but it's not bad. That's why I'd go to that list Start with the one that's paying the highest, and then you'll know if you got one that'll allow joint, and that would be where I'd go. All right, Clark. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, best, to you. best to you, and uh, keep earning as much money as you can on your savings. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. I appreciate you spending part of your day with us here on The Clark Howard Show. I want you to know that if you need consumer advice, we're here to serve you off-air for free, nine hours a day. If you go to Clark.com and go down the home screen, you'll see a section, Consumer Help and Tools. Click on Consumer Action Center, and you can get that free off-the-air advice. 